Hello and welcome to episode three of Downs Your Way, the Rebecca Downs podcast. I am Colin Speller and I'm joined today by Rebecca herself. Hello there. In the first two episodes, we looked at Rebecca and Steve's roots, both personal and musical, and we had planned to move on to look at how they got together and started working on their joint material. But the best laid plans and all that, at 24 hours notice, there was an opening slot at Planet Rocks Rocktober to be delivered. And since that weekend, it has proved impossible to get Steve, Rebecca and me together in one place with enough time to record an episode. With that situation looking set to continue, we're going to do a different episode this time and return to the next stage of the Downs Burkitt story later, hopefully in the next episode. And this is indeed a very different episode because Rebecca and I are going to reverse roles. And she is going to interview me. Oh, my God. So, Rebecca, you have the con. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I thought it would be a great idea to look at the management of our musical enterprise to find out how you got involved and, as a relative newcomer to the music business, see what you make of it all. Dash, 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 dash. So today, ladies and gentlemen, I, Rebecca Downs, am interviewing Colin Speller, our manager, accountant... Roadie, uh, merchandise manager, um, tuck shop manager. Did I just say tuck shop? Yes, we do have a tuck shop on board the van. So, Colin Spiller, hello. Hello. Mm. So, where did it all begin for you, personally, I mean? Oh, my goodness me. So, you're now asking me to, to condense mm, 60 plus years of life experience into mm, about three minutes. If you could, yes. Yes. Well, I'll try not to go on too long. So, yeah. for me, I was born in Dartford, Kent. Hmm. Glorious Dartford. In the same hospital as Keith Richards, believe it or not. Goodness me. I know. There's a fact to conjure with. Um, Keith! So, Keith! <laughs> so, uh, in the same year of my birth, my parents had uh, moved out into the sticks about seven miles from Dartford, bought a house with a couple of acres of land, and I had a very sort of semi-rural upbringing, really. I think it was a bit par-larking, wasn't it, from what you've uh, said? absolutely. Yeah. Everything, yeah. You know, we had the whole nine yards, you know, ducks, geese, chickens, goats... Uh, Sounds yeah. bloody great, to be honest, and yeah. what everyone's trying to do now, but your parents just did it as a way of life. I, they did it because they had to. Mm. I mean, you know, basically, we grew our own food, quite literally. My dad went off to work in London, my mum mm. stayed at home, my grandmother and my grandfather lived with us, and, yeah, we basically, uh, we lived off the land, quite literally, really, in the early years. And can you tell, just to encompass this, can you tell the story of the last jar of jam which will probably sum it up for people okay so my dear dear mother died in 1990 and uh then the family home we finally left in 1999 and we cleared everything out and my sister took away some jam that my mother Hmm. had made and i can't remember now how many years it was before she finally ate that jam i think it was it was certainly over 15 years that is amazing and close to 20 years before she before the plum jam that my mum made oh. was finally finally consumed oh. so yeah so i suppose I, I just rattle through very very quickly uh educated to university level in Kent, did uh, uh, Gravesend Grammar School for Boys, and then Y College, University of London, now mm. sadly defunct, where, mm. believe it or not, I did a degree in agriculture. I do believe it, Colin. Please continue. Yes, I'm pleased continue indeed. So I left, uh, I left Y, went, got a job with the government's agricultural advisory service, fully determined to stay a couple of years and no longer. Mm. Um, 
did 10 years as an, an agricultural advisor, six mm. in Lincolnshire and four in the north based in Leeds when I worked right up the east coast as far as the Scottish border and sometimes beyond. And then with parents in uh, failing health, I, I needed to return south, so I moved to Cambridge. I then did a year in London working mm. for the government. Goodness me. Dun, dun, dun! The government! Well, we were part of government anyway. I just mm. got moved. But I, but I worked, you know, uh, absolutely in keeping with the discussions of the day in international trade. In milk and milk Let's products. not get into international trade right no, now. Before indeed. I start basically climbing the walls. Let's not get too much into that. Let's but suffice not. to say, I have negotiated um, in Brussels on behalf of the UK and represented the UK in the famous World Trade Organization. You don't want to Geneva. pop over to Brussels and have a quick word with them now, do you? Well, I, suffice to say... Whatever they're telling you about trade deals is mostly wrong. But anyway, let's not go there, as you say. So then uh, returned to the advisory service, ADAS, as it was called, uh, in 1991. Got my first management job. Basically then did various management jobs until 1997, when the business was privatised. We then spent 10 years... Um, trying to deal with all the various issues of the privatisation and I had various roles during that time. 2006, I was appointed managing director of the then private company, uh, which changed ownership again in 2007. Anna and I sort of battled on with all the various issues. And I suppose that brings us around to about 2014 mm. when we, we, we had sort of Custer's last stand, which was a recognition that the one issue of the privatisation that we hadn't been able to sort out Hmm. was the pension scheme. Along with many other companies. And the pension scheme was set to take us under, quite literally, just drawing more and more money out. And so I embarked on on my final act, which was a two-year project to persuade everybody concerned with the company that if we didn't do something about it, we were going to go bust. Uh, And I finally managed to talk everybody, that includes people like the pensions regulator and the pension protection fund and the shareholders and Uncle Tom Cobbley and all, into accepting that the only way out of the mess was to do a managed insolvency of the business. And without going into too much detail, that basically involves selling the assets of the business. The business formally collapses, the pension goes into the government's protection scheme. Um, And so we did that. And so doing, we saved well probably close to 400 jobs um he's saying they saved 400 jobs but i have to say it was like this man at the helm so it's not many people who can say i mean you've seen the carillions and woolworths and everyone else disappear but this man did the impossible and he saved people's jobs so we all applaud you for that well thank you i mean 40 of us did lose our jobs i'm bound to say uh one i was one of those uh but we did at least get paid off according to our contractual terms, which was about the best we could do. So, rattle, 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 Mm. by 2016, I was literally went to court one Monday morning uh, to approve the the managed uh, administration of the business and uh, sort of half past nine, I was still fretting about it and by ten past ten, it was all over. Mm. In the meantime, I had met... In the meantime, he had met uh, effervescent singing person who isn't who was she because i've never well, met I gonna her say, I, i'd met you yeah i, 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 I know that much thank so, you funny don't you yeah i do mm. so i i suppose yeah 
can't remember when we first met, but uh, I know I know this was this was pre Downs Burkett when we, mm. when I was first aware of your musical interest. Post Downs Burkett, I'd been involved sort of on or, on and off, but liberated from full time employment in 2016. I, I I was grateful, I would have to say, to have something to get my teeth into. So I basically set about trying to do all more of all of those sorts of things that I, I think it's fair to say most musicians find terribly tedious. So. And can I just say, everyone, these are things that people just, you know, and I didn't appreciate as much needs to be done. And just the accounts, for instance, takes an absolute major amount of time. Um, sorting out the gigs, sorting out the contracts, dealing with agents, promoters, people that don't pay, ladies and gentlemen. Tusk, tusk, tusk. This man will take them in hand. Um, dealing, yeah, with about as many egos as you can throw into um, a whirlwind. And it ain't easy. So, you know, thank God he's here. God bless you, Governor. Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, try to do... Try to make a contribution, really. Which you bloody well do. So what role did music play in your life, anyway? Oh, well, oh, crikey. So, yeah, go back to the early days. I was a chorister, both in a church choir and in the school choir. <laughs> oh! That um, wasn't very good. Can you do that again? No. All right. <laughs> not, not, not without a vocal zone. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I did that. Oh, the I, throat suites are, are available. available. Well, no, we get we get sponsored. Yeah, we by get them. sponsored oh. by Vocal Zone. Vocal Zones. Vocal, vocal zone. zone. Vocal Zone. We all love Vocal Zone. Have you got a cough? Have a Vocal Zone. Um, so, uh, yeah, piano. Learned the piano to grade something or the other. Probably, mm. I certainly passed two. I was well on the way to grade three and got. Oh, I'm sorry to say, I got bored with it. Mm. Um, so didn't pursue it. I uh, we had a piano in the house. I can remember that my sister took over the took up the reins after that, and mm. I, I can't I can't hear. Beethoven's furry leaves without coming out in a cold sweat because that's all I used to hear coming from the blesser blesser cotton socks um so yeah that was it music in a, and then you know listening to it basically well of course I was a, I was a child of not so much the 60s but the 70s um I can certainly remember did you wear flares Colin I did wear a flare if we could find those photos can I put them on the band page no Oh well, you could because you wouldn't recognise me because I had hair, so that's <laughs> rather a lot of <laughs> the it. The power of Photoshop, I can take that off. Don't worry. <laughs> rather a lot of it at one stage. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess you know, started listening to. I mean, my dear old mum used to do um, the sorting of Scout jumble sales, mm -hmm. so she used to bring home uh, various Bakelite radios, which would all these days, of course, be worth an absolute fortune, and these. Uh, stereo players I mean you mm -hmm. know like not, not stereograms as such but the sort of tabletop version of them yeah. and the first thing you'd have to do is go out and buy a stereo compatible cartridge because they were basically mono and then you'd fit the stereo compatible cartridge it would then skate across the disc given half the chance so you'd have to weigh it down with an old half penny put on with a bit of sellotape and then you could listen to your favourite your favourite well no doubt tear new grooves in your, in your favourite vinyl. vinyl so yeah I used to listen to a whole range of stuff the closest I got to anything related to performance was a mate of mine who had a mobile disco and would occasionally let me loose on the decks when he wanted to go off and get a drink uh, but that was it really no no, no involvement in it really beyond my last choral performance for, mm. for the school but I mean from knowing you I know that you are a massive consumer of music um, really eclectic taste and like you know 
there's a lot of people who you know are music lovers but they kind of stick to one band or one genre but what I've always sort of appreciated about you is that you you are a huge consumer of music and you know have a really wide-ranging appreciation of it so I think that's a bloody good thing to have to be honest so going back to me and Birkett really and you got involved sort of what year was it well, I suppose originally I was sort of knocking around at the start of all this back in sort of 2012, but I really got seriously involved 2015, around mm. that kind of time. And um, yeah, about that sort of time. And you set out to do... Well, I just thought, what can I do to help? And I mean, obviously, I can't I can't, I can't play the guitar and I can't sing. So I thought basically... That's all right, because we've got people to cover that, Colin. <laughs> so you're all right there, mate. <laughs> so I thought... I just so basically I just thought well I can help with you know financial matters I can help with the planning I can help with mm. you know basic stuff you know humping gear around driving vans that sort of thing and I suppose over time and particularly once I got kind of liberated from work I sort of saw an opportunity to really help kind of develop a strategy you know mm-hmm. and, to, and to and to just yeah basically do those things which because you're so tied up with the creative side of it, and although, you know, you do, I'll take my hat off to you, you do an amazing amount with the social media, and, you know, you, you were doing the gig organising and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, you were doing the merchandise, but there is, and we'll come on later, I'm sure, to talk mm-hmm. about, you know, if you're an independent act, there is just so much to do, that I thought, well, there's plenty of opportunity for a non-musician to get involved here, and to try and bring some some order to it really to be honest some order in the chaos in the chaos in yeah. the mire what's different about the music business compared to what you've been involved with before i mean i'm just holding back a laugh with that but yeah go on cuz i hear the swearing that goes on so you know well go I, on. I i i think in a way i mean i think there's a there's a sort of perceived wisdom that the music business is different in inverted mm. commas um and I guess it is, but I mean, to be honest, I spent, I mean, I had nearly a 39-year career working with scientific and technical people, and mm. and our scientists, our best scientists, had lots of the characteristics of musicians. They were... Well, they you know, were mad as well. Well, I think, you know, I'm not going to say that, because <laughs> they might be listening in, and some, some of my they friends... They were very creative in their own way. Well, exactly. They were creative, and they were passionate and mm. creative, mm. and a little bit emotional at times about things you know and and you, you know quite a bit of what i had to do was to sort of try and uh, you know bring some some calm mm. rational perspective on the things that they're some of the realities of life really mm. and so i'm used to working with people. i mean we had four professors in the business you know mm. it was that kind of level and whilst you might think of scientists as people who just basically record and and analyze data i mean they had to do things like uh they had to be creative they had to you know sort of understand problems and formulate hypotheses for what was going on you know Mm -hmm. in the growing of a wheat crop or whatever and then you know map that out and and propose experimentation so there was a there was a lot of you know original thought went into their work Mm. and a a lot of passion for it you know a Mm. real belief in what they did and a and a a desire to advocate that so I, i from the temperamental perspective um, I, I think I, I was expecting that. I suppose, I, I, you know, it, it's difficult to sort of be succinct about about this. Really, I, I, I think if you look at the business as a whole, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of people wanting to having dreams and wanting to see those dreams fulfilled, and it and it's a it's a business that's in absolute chaos, really. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't mean that in a organizational sense although there's a great element mm. of that as well i mean in terms of it's of a market and a absolutely structure. everything is up in the air you know people say to me often well i've been working in this business 30 years it's like yeah but it's completely different now to last year to the year before to five years ago to 10 years ago so you know and it's just it's constantly involving and with streaming nobody quite knows where it's going to go spotify may or may not be the leader in time amazon may come up apple music and there's an awful lot of question marks so there's not a lot of certainty well i think if you start at the macro level there's there's gross oversupply that's yeah. that's the first point there are literally hundreds of bands competing for audiences that are, are at best stable and at worst shrinking mm. um there are you know despite that there is still the opportunity for good acts that have a unique proposition in terms of the music they're creating to come to the fore but there's you know that oversupply is Mm. is a massive issue the internet has obviously opened up that opportunity i mean look at what we're doing today Mm -hmm. you know this opportunity to communicate with people to promote your music to get it out there worldwide you know, somebody could be listening to this tomorrow in Australia or New Zealand or wherever. It 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 it's that yeah. communication is there, but at the same time, it means everybody can do this. Yeah, you can sit here. You know, we can sit here with a, com- a computer and a guitar mm. and a microphone. Let's and, not. And we could create a song. Let's not though. No, let's, let's just not. do this. Let's do okay, this. Okay, all right. But my point is, you can you do that. You get so it it it's the kind of yin and yang of it really in the, in that sense the, the the internet's taken away the traditional gatekeepers but it's it, it just means there's a lot of people out there trying trying to get their music mm. out there. I mean I think now, now that the gatekeepers have gone which is the old establishment record companies to uh you know they're still there but then you know you don't need them and that's what you're saying is that there's still little little kind of gatekeepers that you know, personally, as an artist, I felt I got somewhere when I got my CDs into HMV. That's like a tick of recognition that I'd always dreamed of when I got national playlisting on a radio. Again, even though I've got no gatekeeper as such, there's still levels of which you can, you know, does it's not all about buying Facebook likes and bot plays well, no. and all this. You can actually get real levels, but I do hear what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think uh, there is there are there are those issues. I think of of thresholds that you want to cross, but mm. I think for somebody starting out, that that can be quite daunting and and, and quite difficult. And I think uh, a lot of people start out with the aspiration that they're going to get somewhere with this which is fair enough mm. no i'm not denying anybody their dreams the reality is that only a very small number will somebody said to me some cheerful sod said to me the other day that um apparently one in a hundred thousand acts are likely to get signed by a label and only mm. one in ten of those will go anywhere so that's and that depends if you want to be signed by a label well it, absolutely but i mean absolutely. that's just if that's the measure but mm. i do think okay that's the point i was going mm. to make was that a lot of people still have a paradigm that uh, a bit like that scene from the Blues Brothers, where they're you know they're breaking into the the Palace Hotel ballroom and the man from Atlantic Records appears mm. with his you know, here's five thousand dollars I want to sign you you know you you that, that's what's going to happen it and ain't going to happen reality that 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 isn't going to happen so you you do have to be prepared to to you know plow plow your own furrow but I think what the oversupply creates and one of the observations I I made early on I think is a, is a is an a sense of intense competition. 
yeah. which seeps into the artist and, it, and, and affects them. Um, and, and affects them, you know, negatively because they, they, mm. they, they fear kind of being left behind. And that creates that environment where you see people, and again, one of the early lessons for me was to sort of understand that, you know, a band that has 20,000 likes on Facebook may be there by virtue of, you know, having got 20,000 people genuinely interested and may equally be there because they've gone out and paid somebody to deliver hmm. 19,999 likes for them. But, but, it, sure. but it, 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 that comes out of that, that, that feeling, I think, of, of, of wanting to appear credible and to appear yeah. ahead, ahead I don't, of the game. I don't, you know, I totally understand any artist that's done that, that's bought bot plays on streaming, that has bought bots on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I understand, and I'm certainly not knocking them, because I understand the desperation and we've all been there, but I think what I've tried to do, even in those very desperate times, luckily I've spoken to this amazing guy sitting opposite me and he said, no, don't do it. And I know your son, we won't alight on him a lot, is a you know a huge name in um, social media and... Uh, influencer marketing has said, for God's sake, don't do that. Well, we won't go that into too much into that because we could be here all night talking about that. Something that's very close to my own heart. And I think, as you say about competition, I learned very, very early on, although this is not an interview with me, so I'm going to keep it short, that in life, you're only ever in competition with yourself. And I would really implore every other artist to try and think about that somebody else's success or failure does not you know signify your success or failure you're on your own course run your own course because otherwise you'll go insane and I do mean that I'm mental health you know I've suffered myself and I do I do mean that don't see what everyone, you know, you're going to see what everyone else is doing. But if somebody else has been successful, that doesn't mean you're not going to be. And if you've been a bit successful, doesn't mean somebody else isn't. It's just up to the individual. So just run your own course, run your own life. You know, try and let go of of some of this com- competitive nature because it isn't the Olympics. It's making music is different kids you know yeah. <laughs> it's well, different it, yeah, that, that's i mean absolutely and, and i think the point the point is that more people now understand this stuff and you know i mean point one i think if you if, if you buy following on social media you're kidding yourself i mean you know one a key part for an independent artist is to use facebook and use its power to advertise well if you've got n thousand followers and 80 percent of those are bots you're, you're paying to advertise the bots which is not going to get you anywhere mm. and also you can see this stuff i mean mm. there are tools i mean my son taught me about this i mean social blade i mean there's an artist in our sector no mm. names no patrol whose instagram following went up by five thousand in a day in a day in a day was Peter she K- was, was he or she on national television colin no no so wow how no, amazing and they haven't slept with a member of the royal family or anything like that can Be- i sleep with a member of the royal family not yet that's we, oh is that we, down the line yeah, that's all right leave the that in yeah yeah okay all right yeah. um it's, but you know and you can see this and you can see that kind of thing you know a 30 plus percent increase overnight with as you say no background and you just know they've gone out and bought that stuff and and you know people can look at this and people can see it and you can also see the 
you know what goes on with with you know the interaction you get mm. unfortunately though it's still rife and the latest as you've alluded to really is spotify i mean mm. people labels label artists are having spotify plays bought for them mm. if you want to i've got to be careful here i can hear the lawyers warming up if you look at an artist on spotify and look at their about section and look at where they're being listened to if they're predominantly being listened to in South American countries or in Far Eastern countries, then it's the chances are that those are not all the time, of course, Colin. Let's be, you know, let's be. And again, you the know, these are... artists may not even know that that's no. The well, case, I'm, not, so... I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying that. Mm. that I think there's evidence. So. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of evidence to support that. You can Google that, folks, and it's pretty much out there. But it's just, you know, we're not, as I say, I, I understand the desperation of artists, and I understand the desperation of labels. It's like sometimes when I've nearly lost it at this man, Colin Speller, sitting in front of me, because I've been losing it, saying, well, hang on, God, hang on, Colin. Everyone is doing this. Everyone's buying bot plays. Everyone's buying Facebook likes. Everyone's buying... Why can't? Why won't you let me do it? And then in the morning, when I wake up and I'm sober, um, <laughs> well, I know, I'll realise that actually, you know, there's no point though because at the end of the day, it's not going to get me anywhere. What really is? What really I try to concentrate now on is say we've done a gig. We've done a few gigs recently with the Quiet Boys, and the reaction from that has been amazing. Thank God, you know, and also the reaction. After that, post that gig with people buying stuff from the website and also people just messaging the page saying, hi, I really enjoyed your gig. I'm going to buy your CD. And I think personally, even though, yes, I do get affected by numbers and you might get, you know, a promoter that says, oh, you haven't got as many Facebook likes as Joe down the road. And you just think, well, you're a bit of a twit, mate, so I'm not going to listen to you. But what I did do was I did a gig the other week and you know what? A lot of people really enjoyed it. And that's what I'm trying to take away. And I'm not saying it's easy because I have to work on that practically every day. But I am working on it because that's the only thing that's important. Yeah, I think you know, going back to the original point about the business, I think I think that is that's the thing that I see. I see, I see a lot of people striving, uh, feeling under pressure. You know, feeling the need to do some things that, that like like that to sort of improve improve their standing i i thought one of the early stage things i did was to join the music managers forum the mmf which is actually for anybody you don't have to be a in inverted commas music manager you could be like the, the, the guy or girl in the band who leads it from that point of view yeah. and drives it. it you know you can join it's about 120 quid a year you can then do their training courses. So you can go to their evenings and go to their events, some of which are local here in Birmingham, most of which are in London, it has to be said. Um, and and you will hear from the, the top, top people in the, in the, in the business. the Elton John's people. Well, yeah, and it yeah. was, you know, it was huge people. We're talking absolute industry. Yeah, been there, done massive it, Massive people. Got, got the T-shirt, you know. And, 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 and although, yeah, you know, some of their experiences is by... You know, by virtue of that, so a little, a little bit different in some senses. The fundamentals, the fundamentals are there, and they, and they kind of, you know, they will, they will help people through this stuff and, and help you. And that's really where I picked up a lot of my my information from, and and that, and some online resources that I've used, and and generally just trying to, I suppose, going back to the earlier question about what did I bring to this, so just trying to bring that kind of critical thinking. 
to you know what can be a whirlwind and i see it i see it with other people i see it i see it on social media now and I, and i see the implied pressure that people feel under it's huge pressure huge yeah yeah, and and it's from from people who you know genuinely mean well as well you know people supporters fans but you know oh look at what so and so is doing and oh you should be here and why aren't you on at this bill and why speak to him and speak to her and oh kiss that person's ass (laughs) and you just think i'm a pretty reasonable person but i'm not gonna go around schmoozing up to people just to inflate their egos but I will be polite and nice. Yeah. No. I and I and I think you know that is I, I see as an important part of my role is to be the still small voice of calm in the background saying, mm, "Should we be doing this?" Don't now? buy those five thousand bots, Rebecca. Well, you you to be, idiot. To be fair, you've never ever suggested that. But I think I got <laughs> close to it once because I just I nearly yeah. lost me rag. Yeah, but yeah. I, you you got me on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Well, I you know we 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 try really. I mean, and I, and I think and what's quite funny. Sorry to cut you no. in is you could buy all this stuff and then the platform could just. <laughs> Just go bust tomorrow. Oh, it's yeah. like you know, get your new your what your uh, subscribers in, folks, because you're never going to lose their email addresses. But you never know; all these platforms might just disappear. I, th- I think if we look at the macro level again, I, I think what the internet enables you to do is to make proper, meaningful contact with real people the world over, and that's really what it's about. And it's a, it is a, you know, it's a, it's a long, slow process. Uh, involves quite a bit of effort it involves you know trying things which sometimes work sometimes don't work but that's really where you know that's really what you're trying to do you're trying Mm. to find people who will genuinely buy into what you're doing will genuinely support what you're doing will buy the merchandise will come to the gigs i mean i appreciate if they're scattered all over the world that creates a problem in its own right but you, you know that that is that is really you know what we're trying to do and um there are you know there are other elements to it and to, you know one of the things i've i've helped us do i think is is put together a strategy i'm not going to go into mm. great details because it's, it's commercially sensitive but you know have a strategy. can i have a little cackle now <laughs> <laughs> sorry folks sorry, sorry folks. yeah so i know you've sort of ran through really your observations so far we sort of kind of gone through that a little bit um but what are your best and worst moments so far? So your best moment so far has been dun dun dun. Drum roll, can't do a drum roll. Go on. Best moments so far. I, I, I we've we've done some wonderful gigs, uh, and I and I really, I, you know, I love a gig. You see, it's interesting. Isn't it? The different perspectives now. The fans will have one's perspective. The artists will have another perspective, and me has you know a, a, a different perspective so i'm looking at things like how easy is it to drive to what's the get in like you know mm-hmm. how quickly will we get in and get all the gear out you know what are the dressing rooms like mm-hmm. and some of that starts to overlap with the artists and they end up with you know what it's like to be on stage and how many people in the room and all that kind of stuff but we've we've been lucky i mean we've done some fantastic places mm-hmm. i mean the symphony hall uh, you know the sage in in Newcastle. I mean, you know, real um, the wharf Tavistock. I'll mention. You know, places mm. that I absolutely love because you, you know they they they're on the top of their game. You get there, you get in okay, etc. etc. Et um, and you know, watching you guys perform. I mean, I enjoy it. I really do enjoy it. I've probably. I mean, I've lost count of the number of times. I, I mean, well into three figures. Mm. I, 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 150 plus times I've seen you guys stand up in various guises and perform i always watch you 
I don't sort of skulk in the dressing room. I sometimes have to sort of duck and weave about a bit, but I always watch it. I always watch it. I, I, I hear every beat. I hear every note. Um, I always smile inwardly when you rewrite the song. <laughs> I have no idea what you mean, Colin. <laughs> I remember all of my lyrics. Thank you. Thank you very much. She's glaring at me now. No, that doesn't happen very often. But, you know, it's, it, and I understand. I, I see, I see that, that, that the pressures that, that, go on you guys and I I'm always absolutely amazed at, at how you perform and and you know whatever the circumstances and whatever the sound check's been like and whatever the mm. noise is off you know you're up there you, you're doing a grand job so so that's been you know it's though that I mean I can't think of a you know a particular best moment I just I just I just love a good gig when it goes well mm. you're happy we're happy you know it, it's it's great so what was the worst thing Colin do you think the worst moment so far Oh, crikey. Well, I, I suppose I can think of a couple of occasions where it's got so fraught. Um, there was one famous occasion where uh, we'd driven a long way. Uh, standard. We'd, we'd arrived <laughs> early, not standard. We'd mm. arrived very early uh, to a venue where they were setting up a new PA. Mm. Um, oh, they, yes, I recall this event. They were running around bumping into one another. Despite getting their hours early, the sound check, as ever, went up to the point of doors uh, and had barely finished when the venue owner came stomping in, having shown little ability to organise things in terms of the installation of the new mm. PA and little interest in the sound check, came storming in and rushed up to me and said to me it was too loud. You guys were already quite fraud, and I sensed some of that. And I mean, I just basically lost it. I would freely. I don't blame it. you. Well, I'm surprised you don't lose it more often. <laughs> I have to say, the amount of crap you sometimes have to put up with. But yeah, and that happens quite a lot at Soundcheck. You know, it's somebody will have taken zero interest in the sound. We'll just run up and go, "It's too loud," or "It's too quiet," or "It's too this," or "It's too that," and you just think, "Well, where have you been for the last?" Three hours, mate. I think. I think it's if for me the pressure of you guys is on the stage and what you find in terms of the quality of the sound and the number of people who turn up and the reaction you get. And I understand all that. For for me, at my level of involvement, um, it's a combination really of the the organisational stuff and like the get in and the get mm. out. You know, I mean, famously, you know, I remember unloading the van once in the middle of a street in what was could best be described as a piss up. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember that one too. And, People and sort of bumping into us, going, "Oh, all right, mate, uh, you're uh, going to play your guitar, are you?" Yeah, you're like, uh, "Yes, sir, I'm, I'm going to go on the stage and and play guitar, sir." And, and when you you know support band gigs where you got to get the stuff off the stage and either or in famous, nanoseconds. Yeah, famously once walk out through the audience who you know try mm. try try taking a bass drum in a case through an audience. They don't tend to part very very easily and get a bit eggy when you mm. wrap them around the back of the legs with. It. or you know in, in some corridor that's about two foot wide and a lift that basically holds one person and, mm. a, and a, you know all of that that's you and then outside of the gigs I mean just some of the ad, the admin stuff some of the mm. conversations you have with people some of the the, the email chains the unanswered emails the emails don't even talk to me because I remember that and I've passed on that job to you which is you know I, I'm <laughs> glad to have passed on that job to you to be honest with you but I mean the other thing is you know I think we've run over once by two minutes as a support and we were absolutely shouted at like we, we've literally, you know, 
run over by half an hour and um and we're pretty nice to people who do tend to run over on ours although it does massively pee us off so please yeah, don't do it yeah. because again you know if you're a support band you've got to understand your role and i've been a support band so many goddamn times i do understand it you get on you do your thing you get off and if you play 30 minutes or if you play 35 believe me that's going to have no impact on how many people like your music or how many cds you sell at the end of the night but you will pee off the main band and the crew and everyone because you're probably a local support band and we've probably travelled about four hours, so please don't do it. So we've been absolutely kicked from pillar to post for doing it. And we try to be a bit nicer about it, but sometimes that doesn't uh, pull off. So, other observations. What? Um, tell us about some of the people you've met, Colin. Interesting folk along the way. Interesting folk along the way. Well, I, I think what, what I... Going back, I suppose, to the original question about the, the music business, I, we, we've had a lot of people involved and almost all of them have had some impact, positive impact on what we've done. Yeah. Um, I, I just think, you know... I, I, that there's been some interesting characters along the way and I think with libel law being as it is I'd probably best not name them but I I, I just I always think that if we were to have a gathering to kind of celebrate where we've got to and any sense of achievement we had it would be a room full of very interesting folk uh, sure, I so. don't think I'd be attending that party <laughs> I'm only joking. I'd love to be there. I, I think there is a general issue, though, for bands starting out. You know, as I said earlier, I go to the MMF things. I, I've been fortunate enough to be lectured by people who've, you know, been there, seen it, done it, got the T-shirt. And you know these people are at the top of their game. Uh, and, of course, they can pick and choose who they work with. And uh, you're very, very lucky if one of those will pick up an emerging act and work mm. with them. You, you, at the other end the starting out end there are lots of people who will wish to get involved for all sorts of reasons mm. uh will wish to take your money that's an obvious reason but also otherwise wish to get involved uh, and i all i would caution i think is that you you have to be careful as to the quality of those people their motivations their track mm. record and just try to determine mm. you know whether it's going to work keep mm. an open mind you know don't just reject everybody but similarly don't you know just don't play play along with people who clearly are just there to mm. well on some sort of trip you know can i just say from an artist's point of view that if someone comes up to you and promises you the world you're gonna be a star you'll live your name in lights by the end literally as soon as someone comes out with big things like that walk away because it don't happen like that you've got it they're talking about getting from a to z what you've got to navigate is A, B, C, D, E, exactly. Yeah. So if someone comes along saying, I'm going to bait your store, you're good, we're going to do this, that and the other, take a massive big pinch of salt, in fact, probably a vat of it. Okay, so where do you think we go from here, Colin? Well, I... Into it, outer space and beyond? Uh, as I said earlier, I think we, we have a strategy. We, we will pursue it. You know, doing things like the podcast is part of a strategy of having real fans out there that we're trying to communicate with and keep in touch with. little squeak in the background from Ralph is obviously getting oh, bored Ralph. with us. All right, we won't be long, mate. Um, and I, I think, you know, we are seeing engagement, increased engagement across the board. We are seeing a, a more and more positive reaction to the music. We've had some radio play. We hope for some more. I, you know, that's that's really what it's about. And, uh, and you know, there's a lot of work to be done. And we, you know, mm. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. I'm really, I enjoy it. I love what, doing this. It's great mm. fun. We meet some great people. We've got some great fans. 
we you know we will keep up i'm very lucky i'm very lucky to have you so i'm gonna hand it over thanks very much for talking to us colin you've been bloody brilliant and uh yeah over to you my dear well thank you for that thank you for interviewing me thanks to everybody for listening as ever if you have any comments or feedback please get in touch uh as you know we do a merchandise discount code with these podcasts and the code for this episode is speller in capitals s-p-e-l-l-e-r if you go to rebeccadowns.com forward slash shop order your stuff put that code in at the relevant place during the checkout process and you will get five percent off the code will be valid for two weeks from monday the 28th of october 2019 so from me thank you for listening see you next time see you next time guys love you Always been more sinner than saint The devil may take me but I